You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. It is Friday the 21st of October. Uh, coming to you from Newbury Racecourse, where I'm beyond racing TV duty later. Uh, mottled sky at the moment, but I can see some rain stair-rotting beyond the trees in the background, and I think it's going to be hard work for all concerned today, as it will be, no doubt, in tomorrow's final Group 1 of the domestic UK season, the Verton Futurity at Doncaster, more of which later in the programme. But all of that and... Our entire little racing world seems so tiny today because of the extraordinary chaos that's unfolding in the country. We are currently leaderless, prime ministerless. Oh, I don't know whether we are or not. But anyway, Liz Truss resigned yesterday. Lydia Hislop, happily, steadfast. Is, is, how many prime ministers have we seen through through the podcast so far? <laughs> that's a very good question how many is it three or is it four oh, i don't know i don't know but it'll be th- i i to be fair i think we came in and still in the in the in the johnsonian um middle of johnsonian rule and i don't know who knows we might be back to that soon but anyway we'll have a new one by monday so then it then it will be three mm, yeah okay uh, uh, okay um yes well i mean the implications of racing, of course, are about the um, incoming, and it has been long incoming, white paper as a result of the, the gambling review. Um, in uh, There was questions on the floor to the Secretary of State, the current Secretary of State, Michelle Donnellan, um, yesterday morning, um, and she said that they would be able to provide an update on the white paper in the coming weeks, which is a sort of classic holding response. There had been um, a strong, but very strong vibes that there um, had been moves to get it out pretty quickly um, recently, uh, but that's obviously likely to be on hold following a new in- in administration and the inevitable uh, cabinet reshuffle. I-, I suspect it's, I mean, you would have thought it would be, given that they were keen to get it out before then, mm. you would think it would be a likely priority afterwards. But of course, thanks to Trustonomics, <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole landscape has changed, hasn't it, in terms of... of of where we are, and um, this uh, white paper, which in the, sort of the, the worst case forecasts, suggests that there will be a significant hit to treasury income from you know betting receipts. You know, are is particularly Rishi Sunak, but also somebody like Penny Mordaunt, or really anyone who heads up the party. Given that we're now further in a financial hole than we would have been anyway, given everything else that's going on in the world, um, thanks to Trustonomics, um, are, are, are they going to be very timid about doing anything that affects an income stream? Oh, well, certainly the betting industry will be hoping not, because you, you certainly sensed, and particularly from the interview I did with with Michael Duggar, the chief executive of the betting and gaming council last weekend that there is a, a sense of uh, of urgency to, to to get this at least this white paper o- on the table w- whether their ambitions to get it on the table before christmas uh, could be realized must be a moot point just a couple of uh, political points damien collins who's managed to survive the last two ad- i think two administrations i i guess as uh, <laughs> as gambling minister he I, I think there's probably a feeling within the industry that they would like him to stay in situ uh, he he incidentally sky news today has got him as a penny mordant backer if there is indeed a leadership race so i don't know 
make of that make of make of that what you will but um he's feeling lucky punk after being in it, it managing to survive twice so you know maybe he's going for the big three and four well exactly but i mean whether that increases or decreases his chances of staying in post i suppose is the key point there um yeah. but at the moment i guess they'll just they'll just grab hold of anyone who appears to be mod have any kind of modicum of of good sense to to remain in in post so we will see how that plays out you would hope that would be the premise. <laughs> we can't always make that assumption currently in Britain, I'm afraid. No, no, indeed not. Um, and doubtless we'll, we'll try and find out a little bit more from people who are a bit closer to the action uh, on the podcast next week as the political situation unfolds. Um, uh, the leadership in, in British horse racing, dare I say, at least at the top of the BHA, seems fairly stable. Joe Somer, Smith and, and um, Julie Harrington. Uh, but Lydia, yesterday I spoke to Richard Wayman, the chief operating officer of the BHA, about the what he would call tactical changes. I sometimes mistook them for strategic changes to next year's fixture list, which essentially involves the removal of 170 races, except does it because they will just be re relocated, repatriated in different portions of the calendar so as not to diminish the overall take to racing's uh, economy. Um you had some quite harsh words to say about this on social media. Just explain why. Well, I just find it very depressing all in all. I mean, not so much the... Um, I understand that this is uh, pragmatism from the BHA, uh, given the position British Racing is in, um, and the refusal uh, to consider addressing the fixture list, for example. And, you know, the BHA can only can control what they can control. And they didn't want another summer of um, small field sizes when they felt that they could do something to improve it. But you asked yesterday, is this pruning for growth or rearranging the deck chairs? I think it's the latter. It's rearranging the deck chairs for a better view of the iceberg. And that iceberg is the talent drain from this company, the country and the downward spiral of domestic quality and that is the keystone that will eventually bring the value of everything down that's everything terrestrial tv rights media rights betting turnover attendances relevance and affection from british society all of those things and the primary concern that i had about the set of announcements yesterday is that although uh, to his great credit, Richard Wayman from the BHA mentioned the customer in your interview with him yesterday. It seems that the customer, the racing fan, current and future, the person who pays um, for uh, our income, the horse racing industry, British horse racing in in industry's income, and gives it much of its status, is being asked to pay for goods of lesser quality and or quantity as a re result of these measures. And I am concerned about whether the person who pays to watch British racing and uh, bets on British racing and has an affection for British racing, who's already had their um, tolerance for it stretched, I think, in the year, and we can see that in um, plummeting attendances, you know, set across a wider cost of living crisis that we all all recognise where, you know, not only is the competition for the leisure pound, it's whether or not people have a pound to spend on leisure. I think that they are going to increasingly start voting with their feet. And it, it concerns me that these measures don't appear to consider highly enough the impact on the racing fan. Lydia, I just want to talk, pick up on that point about the, the consumer. Uh, there was one thing that concerned me yesterday in in Richard Wayman's answer, which was, uh, and he was being, I think, quite honest. He said, we don't really know enough about what the consumer wants. And I thought, well, given that this BHA is being chaired by Joe Somerville-Smith, who is a man who is 
placed an awful lot of importance on data and knowledge and being well informed in order to create a strategy to, to formulate policy. This is surely the one of the absolute keystones, isn't it? Knowing what your customer wants. You can be fed all sorts of information by bookmakers, which is undoubtedly extremely useful, is crucial. But surely you need to know what your paying customer, what your punter wants out of the sport. I mean, it's a shocking admission, really, isn't it? That, you know, we've had this this sport, you know, run under a similar governance structure for some time now, and that there is no information about what customers want and different customers will want different things and the same customer will, will want different things at different times if you just think about yourself and what you you know oneself and what what I like about racing you know it it, it can often d- depend on the the type of race meeting it is the time of year all of that kind of stuff but there should be that kind of information being fed in my concern is that it's it's completely right that decisions should be evidence-based, but we are in an emergency crisis situation here. We can see that British racing is spiralling downwards. And my concern about those um, policies yesterday is that they are, the def- that is what managed decline looks like. What, what what The announcements that came out yesterday are managed decline. And it's uh, the defini- definition of short-termism. It, it relies on, and Richard Wayman argued that there will be an overarching long-reaching strategy that will be coming and this is just pragmatism in the short term to cut the cloth uh, accordingly. I'm not living in an ivory tower I fully understand the need to if you're going to take if you are going to give racing finances a, a direct hit you need to find somewhere where you can where you can make that that money up but I'm I'm quite surprised that they haven't waited until the new governance structure is is signed off until until these adjustments have been made but maybe the pressure of next year's fixture list approaching meant that they had to go now i think richard wayman was being truthful when he said he just couldn't face looking at another year of calamitous field sizes and knowing that he could do something not an ideal something not something that he would do with pleasure to at least try and make them a bit more competitive but my, my concern is while we're waiting for this you know strategy and the governance structure and all of this and you know it is laudable to get data and make decisions on that but sometimes you just have to you know move you, you just have to make a decision you just have to say there is a problem here everybody can see it's a problem and we need to act quickly because my concern is that this generation of leaders and also the generation before will be responsible for um, squabbling whilst really they should be moving quickly to take action to ensure that the long-term future of British racing is safeguarded I mean they you know the talent drain where is that where are the plans now to address that in terms of making sure that better horses are bred owned trained and raced here I mean the problem with downgrading the race program whilst I definitely acknowledge that due to decentralization of race planning individual race courses have been upgrading their race program without coordination and crucially without minimum values having been increased and that's ended up with more class and two races especially in July and August being run than the BHA intended I definitely acknowledge that and it's clearly sensible for the race program to fit the available horse population and and, you know, we know that we're getting thin on those horses below Group 1 and Group 2 and above Class 3. But you also have to acknowledge that the existence of those races in number are incentives to breed, own, train and race horses of that quality. Is there a fewer of that type of race that makes the constituent horses less likely to be bred, owned, trained and raced in Britain? So there's a tipping point. There, There is a balance. And where are the plans to engage 
and reverse this decline in quality. As far as I know, they don't exist at the moment. Summer jumping is mentioned in yesterday's press release. You know, is the long-term future of summer jumping, bearing in mind climate change, viable? I mean, some of the fans of some of the trainers who who run horses in summer jumping were even asking asking that that question. Um, you know, I I I, I really feel that there is a time for action and that time for action was about a year ago and the earliest we're likely to be getting any action is 2024 and I think it's going to be too late. Well speaking of how race courses might open themselves out to their to their customer base and give customers what they want there's quite an interesting new initiative that's that's been brought forward today by Chester Racecourse um, that means you can go to Chester on any day, this is the top line, on any day next year, including the Boodles May Festival, for a tenner. Now, to fill in the finer detail, I'm joined by Chester Racecourse's Chief Executive, Louise Stewart. Um, Louise, first of all, just exactly what can you get for your £10 next year, 2023? So that's for um, a new enclosure that we're introducing, which is combining the open course with the de-enclosure, so that um, gives you access to the bars in the D and the food offering there, as well as the open course. So you get great viewing. It's a great entry price. And um, and we're also looking at improving what's already there. So um, more activations, more cover, particularly um, in those enclosures at Chester and just a, a more um, festival vibe on more occasions. Just, just a more festival vibe on more occasions. Just explain what you mean by that. Just more of a, um, in terms of looking at the, the food offering, um, the drink offering, and just varying it more. Um, and so we're, we're just going to be experimenting during the year. We'd love to say that we have this grand plan to invest, but the challenge, the economic challenges facing the country and facing businesses and facing racing are very real. So we're going to be doing... Um, looking at the bar offering, looking at the pricing there, looking at the variety of food on offer and, and just looking at the entertainment in that new enclosure as well. What we really wanted to do was emphasise that a day out racing is really good value day out. And I know that Chester can sometimes be seen as expensive and we are facing some real financial pressures next year. Our utility bill is eye-watering. Um, but we do feel that we, we have to be mindful of certainly some of those racing fans that are really like the open course and the D, they are under financial pressure too. And so we've just really challenged ourselves not to increase prices in key areas and to actually offer a price point which is really attractive to that audience. Just for those who aren't familiar with Chester and the setup, Louise, just to explain that. So if I was watching on the TV, which bit of the course are we talking about that you can get in for, for, for £10? Is it is that the bit that's that's not the infield, that's the outer field, if you like? So the open course is the outer field, so it's the big flat space in the middle of in the middle of the course. But um, people who would normally buy an open course ticket can now come the other side of the track and um, use the D stand, the enclosure, the toilets in that area, the bars in that area, and the food offering in that area. But we're looking at improving right. both those types of facilities on both. So if you're normally in the D enclosure. Um, you can you can often you can go into the open course so it's it's really the the lowest price ticket for us is the open course ticket usually and we're actually making that 
price point available to the deer enclosure as well. We know that's where some of the um, so some of the most ardent racing fans go, um, because that's probably one of the best places at Chester to actually see the racing. So, so how do the economics of this work? I mean, other racecourses will be thinking, how can how can we let people in for a tenner and still make this pay? Is that because you've got uh, sufficient reserves? Or, or, or you've done the sums to, to think that this can this can pay for you. This um, overall, Chester has a combination of price points. We're also holding, and um, we've reduced our tax ticket offer as well. So we brought that down. We're holding the county um, price as it is. There'll be marginal increases in premium uh, general admission, um, but overall, it's. It's it's going to be <laughs> it's not what I thought I'd be doing in my first year at Chester, but I think it's the right thing to do. I think um, I think you can absolutely go racing for less than a tenner at some race courses. I think small race courses um, provide really good value too. Um, I think some are as low as seven pounds entry. So I know that um, where where we've priced it is competitive for for what is a great day out at Chester. But I, I do think um, smaller race courses provide that great value. And I hope that they're able to really look at their pricing, um, even though they'll be facing significant financial pressure too. All right, Louise, thanks very much. Louise Stewart, the Chief Executive of Chester Racecourse. Uh, Lydia was listening to that. What did you make of that, Lydia? Well, obviously, it is welcome that uh, racecourses, in this case Chester, are, are thinking about uh, th what their customers are facing and are, are trying to introduce um, a, a ticket price at which that you know people are more likely to be able to afford and, uh, and are more comfortable. And, and the idea that um, they are opening up parts of uh, the racecourse uh, that they wouldn't otherwise be able to access from from the from that outer field the d-stand and, and the enclosure that, that's got to be a positive obviously there was a a strong focus there on access to bars and food which is you know understandable in that you know racecourses drive a, a lot of income from that i suppose i would have liked to have have heard some focus on the on the ra racing itself and in terms of what race goers can actually access in terms of seeing the horses i mean obviously they'll be able, be able to see the horses whiz by but it, you know can, you know w w there are other elements that make up a race day and that garner a greater under understanding of the sport in the long term one of the complaints I think that from what from what I can gather there, I think you're doing all right there for a tenner, aren't you? I mean, it sounds based, like it. Based on offerings at other tracks where you are parked in Timbuktu, if you, if you're on a really on a really good value ticket or or a really cheap ticket, here I think if you if you if you're getting access right on that grand main grandstand there, and I think that was the point most of last season. I think that main grandstand was broadly empty because so much concentration over the last couple of decades has gone into that kind of high priced elite. Um, uh, space right in the right in the in the nub of the track. Yeah, the infield infrastructure essentially, where they've they've concentrated a lot. That's, of that's what I was. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree, and you know it makes sense therefore to to fill the D stand and the D enclosure and have people being able to see the racing from there. It's certainly where I um, when I go racing at Chester, that's where I would would watch the the racing from. Um, there are complaints from customers. I'm like, this is not Chester across the across the the board that uh, racecourses need to have uh, better food. Uh, you know, more attractive food. You know, not too too often. It's 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 quite 
narrow, it's quite um, fried, it's unimaginative, and the prices are quite high. So I do think um, the point that Louise made about trying to vary um, what they supply in that in that regard is welcome. And I think they should also be thinking about um, the, the prices that they are that they are charging. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be good news that they are that they are thinking about uh, enabling more customers to access horse racing at a very reasonable price. Well, tomorrow's Burton Futurity is an intriguing race. As you'd expect, Aidan O'Brien heads the market with Auguste Rodin. But to my eye, the most interesting runner, I'm not saying he's going to win, but the most interesting runner is King of Steel, the horse that we spoke with Adam Kirby about, if you remember, on the podcast um, a week or two back. Huge horse who won on his debut at Nottingham for trainer Dave Lochnan in the Ammo Racing Colours. Uh, Dave joins joins me now. You've decided to roll the dice, Dave, and have a go at the big boys and the Verton Futurity. What's prompted the decision? Um... Been brave, I suppose. Um, look, Kiki and the team at Ammo have been um, have put a lot into the sport, and they want to compete at the top level. Um, and look, it's 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 a big ask going from a novice into a Group One, but he visually did everything we could have asked and more. So we just thought, you know, no, no problem. And uh, it's a smallish field with only eight runners. We'll uh, roll the dice and see what happens. And look, if it works, we look like geniuses, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. We've always got next year. So it goes without saying he's come out of the race well and moved forward for that. Um, in, term, in terms of how genuinely good you think he is, you, you've trained a lot of very good two-year-olds but of a very different type. What, what talent do you think is in there? To be totally honest, Nick, I don't know. Um, I don't feel we've even scratched the surface. Um, I'd said to, to Key and the guys before his first run, we've never had him off the bridle and we genuinely hadn't. And that was his first time off the bridle when he ran in Nottingham. He just does everything so comfortably within himself. We've never had to take him off the bridle. Um, so even now, he certainly has sharpened up mentally and physically for his first run. But again, we, we've, look, it's only, it's only nine days ago since he ran. So we've only ticked him over. But um, I, I don't think we've scratched the surface with him yet. What would be a satisfactory result? Uh, look, finishes in the top four. It's a great run. Second start to go and, to go and be placed in a group one would be phenomenal. Um, but look, we're, we're, we're not there to be making up numbers. We want to be winning if, if we have a chance of winning. And you run Go Bears Go in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. You went there with him last year, so you, you've had experience in the United States with the horse, and it, and it, it all but paid off. How, how confident are you going to this year's race? What sort of form is he in? He's in great form. Look, he, he, he ran really well on Champions Day. Um, the ground was probably just a little bit easier for him, and he just lost a gear in that ground. Um, he was drawing the wrong side. You know, the pace came up the near side and the first four home came up the near side. He led the group on the far side for a long way. Um, he's come out of that really well. I feel like it's put him on song for, for America. He loves travelling. He absolutely thrives off it. Um, but, look, it, it's going to be a more competitive race this year. You, you're taking on some, some top-class sprinters, some of the best sprinters in America, some of the best, uh, will, will arguably be the best sprinter in Europe and Highfield Princess. So, um you know, it's, it's going to be a tough contest, but we know there'll be a, a lot of pace in the race and we know he stays six furlongs. So, look, I'd like to think he'll be doing his best work in the last couple of furlongs. All right, that was uh, David Lochnan, a trainer of uh, King of Steel, uh, one of many interesting runners in tomorrow's Vertem Futurity. Lydia, is this a race that you've had a look at? 
Yeah, I'm really, I'm really uh, like this race. I had a chat with Tom about it briefly on Wednesday. It looks deep to me. How? What do you think? Yeah, I think it. I think it's a a, a good race. I think the the likely favourite August Rodan's a, a, a quality horse. I particularly liked Stormbuster when he won the Haynes Hanson and Clark here at Newby. Really stretched out and lengthened on a on a nice flat straight track. Uh, I I I think he's a, one of the interesting ones, and I, I'm I'm fascinated in King of Steel. I mean, I don't really expect him to win, but I just find him a fascinating horse, absolutely monstrously enormous animal with with a slightly more um, a slightly a, a more efficient engine than most horses of that size. Yes, I've read about him being massive. So yes, I'm looking I'm looking forward to seeing him. I agree agree with you about about Stormbuster. He looks very exciting indeed. And Jeff Smith is owner identified this as a likely target after he won at Newbury last time. He is a son of Barshipper. That'll be excellent. Um Captain uh Versba. Vers um he yeah. was the one <laughs> I think it's something like that. Visba, Visba, that's better. Um he was the the horse carrying Rosser Orion when he was held elbowed off by uh, Correct. He was a wide margin winner at Foslas, so he's completely unexposed. Holloway Boy is wearing a first-time visor, which which might be uh, which might be pretty pretty interesting. It might you know be able to generate. He's been close up in a number of races. He's performing at, at a consistently high level, um, and it'll be interesting to see what he is able to do with a first-time visor. And Epictetus is running. I, I suppose I, I kind of assumed in my own head that he'd be heading towards the Horace Hill, but it's great to see him here. He had Holloway Road um, behind him uh, previously when he was second to Silver Knot in the Autumn Stakes. Um, and I, I, I thought that performance was good. And I think he'll be uh, suited by the conditions of the the future, the Virta Futurity Trophy. It's interesting, isn't it, how... We, you, I think you and I have, have touched on on the podcast for the past couple of years, or this year and last year at least, um, about how um, you need to see it at, at uh, Bally Doyle the the seeds of the of the next generation. You know, you would normally have have it that you know the the three year olds are winning everything, the older horses are winning everything, and here come the two year olds, and it's all going to um, happen all over again. The cycle continues. It's been a little bit more stuttery in in recent years. They've obviously had to had to face the the sad death of, of Galileo, which will, well, hasn't actually impacted yet, but they didn't immediately find a successor to him. It's interesting to me and encouraging, I think, for Edna O'Brien, Ballydoyle and Coolmore, how many young horses, how many how many two-year-old races they've been winning and how many of their young horses that will be the primary horses uh, of the classic generation are coming through. I think there are potentially ominous signs for people going up against, against Ballydoyle next season. Well, the news came through rather as expected, but it was uh, lovely to have it confirmed that Baid would indeed stand as a stallion where he was born, at the uh, Nunnery Stud, uh, the British division uh, of Shadwell. Their European bloodstock manager, Stephen Collins, joins me now. Uh, Stephen, he's been a horse that's, that's touched everyone, clearly. I I'm, I'm very interested to know from your perspective how his whole career, how the arc of his career has, has impacted on all of your team. It has been fabulous, uh, basically, to, uh, to have this horse. He has touched many of our lives. And, you know, he's given us all so, so, so many wonderful memories. Um, you know, certainly from our perspective uh, at Derrenstown, uh, I suppose we were very fortunate to have him here for almost 18 months. 
um, you know, arriving as a young folder two months with his dad, Magarid, and he stayed with us all the way through until November 2019, when he finally departed into training uh, to the UK. Uh, so obviously, we have huge memories of him that first summer, you know, being a very nice foal. Um, he was actually shown to Sheikh Hamdan as basically a part of an elite short list of weanlings and foals that autumn. Um, and he liked him very much. And, uh, you know, he was weaned. Uh, the following year, really, he started coming into his own and he started to impress us really in May and June 2019 of his yearling year. And, you know, he's, he was just starting to start, to st sorry, he was just starting to stand out from his compatriots. Uh, what we did notice that he had a wonderful temperament. Uh, in fact, you could probably say he was almost bomb-proof. Uh, nothing ever seemed to phase or upset him. Uh, like all our yearlings then, he would have started his prep in, in early August, uh, began on the, on, the, on the horse walker, we started lunging him. And, you know, we noticed that he was a very quick learner on the lunge. He was a very impressive mover. Uh, he enjoyed his work. I wanted to um, ask you how you felt over the last 10 days, you know, the, the, all the build up to, to Ascot and then obviously that, that great disappointment of the, uh, of the run and, and, and now how you, how you reflect on, 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 on the whole, if you like. Well, I suppose, of course, there was a huge amount of excitement going into Ascot. I mean, you know, he was 10 for 10 and it was, he, he brought us on a, on a fantastic trip. And, you know, uh, in fact, you know, we took a large number of our staff from Shadwell and a number of our staff came out from Ireland and we headed to Ascot for the day. And in fairness to Ascot, they were treated us like royalty and we we're very grateful to them for that. So it was, a, it was a very exciting occasion. But as it happens with horses, it wasn't his day. But on 10 other occasions, it was his day. So really, you know, one race doesn't define a horse's career. Um, but every time he ran, you know, we were excited that he showed us such an outstanding, he showed us what an outstanding racehorse he was. And the great thing is that the buzz and excitement is very much still there um, as we look forward to his second career as, as a stallion. And obviously with him returning to the nunnery stud, um, you know, it's a hugely exciting occasion for the entire staff there, but for the overall operation as well. And on, on behalf of, of, of both Dernstown and Shadwell, but particularly Shadwell, we'd sincerely like to thank Sheikha Hissa and her family for entrusting Baid into our care for his stallion career. I mean, he's a wonderful prospect for us going forward. Stephen, how how critical is Baid's presence to the future of the whole Shadwell enterprise? To what extent is is everything now built on the success or otherwise of this horse at stud? Um, again, that's a very good question, Nick. Uh, obviously, uh, you know he's obviously he's a very he's very important to us as an operation going forward. Um, time will tell on that, of course. But what I can say is, we know we're welcoming back a horse that has all the qualities breeders require uh, to make the grade as a successful stallion. Um, he was a magnificent racehorse with superb confirmation, with a wonderful temperament. Um, I've no doubt that Baid, you know, he will be hugely popular at studs, and we very much look forward to his arrival in a few weeks' time. Absolutely. I mean, can you give us any indication of some of the mates that he might have? I'm, I'm guessing everything you can get your hands on that is your best is gonna is gonna have a date with Baid. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, we're sort of coming to that time of the year. Uh, 
think when, when we sort of sit down to do our meetings, uh, and in fact, we, we anticipate we'll have amazing meetings within the next two to three weeks. You know, as, as I say, we haven't confirmed anything, but some of the mayors we would be looking at potentially and will be seriously considered would be mayors like uh, our group one winner, Nazif. Uh, Nazif was very talented. She won the both the Group 1 Sun Cherries and Falmouth Stakes. Uh, she would be very high on the list at the moment for consideration. And she's in fold to Frankel, and she's due quite early. So she would be a, p- a potential mate. Another highly talented filly on the track was Tal Keel. She was the winner of the pre saint Allery Group 1 in France. Uh, basically, again, she would, you know, she would take all the boxes. Uh, she has a magnificent first fold by Dubawi. He's one of our best folds, and she's in fold to see the stars. So you would be going back to Baye to see the stars. So that would make a lot of sense. Uh, another very nice mare, and again, it just shows you there's a broad range of mares. Uh, Muhawala, uh, the dam of Group One winner, is Shada. She won the filly and mares at, at Ascot uh, at, on Champions Day last year in 2021. She is a superb pedigree. Uh, she's in foal to Lope to Vega. So they're just some of, among some of the mares that we're considering. As I say, we'll be discussing it with Sheikha Hissa and, and the team within the next two or three weeks. But uh, she, he will get very, very high-quality mares from us. And I've no doubt that the uh, breeders worldwide will use him and uh, he will attract a, a very high-class list of mares. And, and how much is it going to cost for me to send my 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 mare to buy you, Stephen? I mean, obviously you're going to obviously you're going to do me a nice you're going to do me a nice deal, I'm sure. And uh. Uh, in fairness, I mean that's the million-dollar question, but you know we're we're still discussing that, debating that in house. Uh, we're very close to announce an answer. Uh, we would hope to announce that within the next uh, week or two weeks. But you know, suffice to say that you know he's he's a hugely exciting horse. Uh, you know, I think, you know, he has done an awful lot, you know, throughout his career. I mean, he's been a wonderful racehorse. And obviously, you know, he, you know, we will set a, a set a price that we feel is competitive. Uh, that is, you know, that reflects his ability. But as I say, it's certainly not finalised. And uh, But as soon as it is, we will definitely announce it within the next week or two weeks. All right, Stephen, thanks a lot. Anyway, thank you for, 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 for the call, and I appreciate it very much. Thanks, Nick. Not a bit. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Take care. Bye. All right, my thanks to, to Stephen Collins. If you were with me yesterday on the podcast, you'll have heard me talking to Peter O'Reilly about the Corinthian Challenge, which culminates this weekend uh, on Saturday, in fact, tomorrow, uh, at Leopardstown, and is raising uh, tremendous funds for Irish injured jockeys. Really pleased to, to welcome in another one of the participants, Joan Tyner, whose family have a, a very close link with this event. Joan's mum, Mary, took part in this back in 2019. In memory of Joan's brother, uh, Jack, who very sadly passed away in a point-to-point accident in 2011, so 11 years ago now. Joan, uh, it's just fantastic that your family have embraced this event so so wholeheartedly. Uh, tell me a little bit about your efforts this time around. Yeah, so just following on from mom there in 2019, I was kind of, I was away in Australia and things like that. And um, when I got back from Australia, I was working at home full time with my parents. And I was kind of like, geez, I'd love to be able to ride the race because um, I never got the chance to. And then this year then with the Corinthian Challenge being back on and things like that, I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. Um, so they're back in February time, I think it was, um, I contacted Michael Higgins about it to take part in it. 
and sure it's a fantastic opportunity to raise money for the Irish Ginger Jockeys so I've been riding out in Ross Sullivan's in the mornings and at home as well at the weekends and I've been going into Andrew Canaren's now as well that he's given me the mare as well for tomorrow um, and I rode her as well in the last race in Gorn Park as well and I said when I was I was introducing you there that this is something that's so dear and so close to the heart of of all your family. You've got extraordinary perspective on what Irish injured jockeys can can do for not only those who who've, who've been injured, but also for for families of those who who very sadly passed away. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're they're very supportive charity, and like they're there. Like if you need anything, like. You can literally pick up the phone, even like I know plenty of people, like they're able to pick up the phone to them whenever they need to and they can give them a call and like they'd be there to support you through whatever means that they can. Um, and like they're they're just a fantastic charity to watch out for people as well, you know, and they're very appreciative of everything that you do for them as well with fundraising and things like that. Even there for um, Jack's 10th anniversary, I had a campaign there on social media um, with the hashtag remember Jack Tyner and I had asked people if they could share a photo of Jack if they had it and if they could to donate to the Irish Ginger Jockeys so it's just something that is close to our hearts that I feel like it isn't important to back them because like without jockeys you wouldn't have racing um, so it's just yeah it's very important to us. Jack was a, an incredible talent, according to everybody who who knew him and saw him ride. What would he make of of what you've done so far? I'd say he'd be fairly proud. Like you know, I was never really a jockey myself. You know, I was much more into football and more the hands on side of a thing. And you know, I always hunted and did stuff with the ponies and things like that. But I was never really like you know fully committed to being a jockey and things like that. And you know, he was. He was very very determined. So, like, Joey always had that running joke there when we were younger. Um, he was, like, doing pony racing things at the time, and I used to be out on my ponies, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, here here comes the farmer now. And I'm like, oh, here comes the flapper. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd always have that kind of running joke the whole time. So I think, I think just even, like, in general, I think Jack would just be so proud of all of us as family, Joe, the way mum and dad carried on and, the fact that mom took part in the challenge there back in 2019 as well, like that was a massive thing for her as well because she used to ride um, years ago. Um, she actually had won a couple of races and things like that as well as a jockey. And a jo- she just got some thrill out of it back in 2019 when she got to take part as well. You know what you've got to do now? You've one one leg left. You've just got to go yes. win. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see now. I was actually, I rode her this morning on the Curra and she's in great form. So, Fingers crossed now we have a great spin tomorrow around the Curra um, and the, the rain holds off a bit. So, But yeah, no, it should be good. And I think everyone's gearing up for it now as well. It's, everyone's getting more competitive with each race as well. So it's kind of, everyone's getting a good kick out of it now too. So yeah, it's fantastic. Joan, just before you go, just remind us how we can get involved. Yeah, so you can you can go on to the Irish Ginger Jockeys Fund directly and donate to them or else click on to the Corinthian Challenge website um, and you can click on each of the individual riders there if you want. But, I mean, anything anything at all, small or large, would be brilliant. So, like, whatever um, would be fantastic. Small or large, preferably large. Joan, thank you very much. <laughs> Best of luck no tomorrow. Problem. Thanks a million, Nick. Thanks for having me. 
we'll no sooner have most of the yearlings been sold in Europe that we kick on to the breeding stock sales. The Tattersall's December mare sale starts on the 28th of November, which is a Monday and runs through till Thursday, the 1st of December. We've talked quite a bit on this podcast already about the sept uh, session of the sale, which is going to garner a huge interest, I would imagine, worldwide. For more on that and, and the rest of, of what's on offer, Jimmy George, Marketing Director from Tassels. Uh, Jimmy, I do want to zone in on this on this Scepter session again because it is starting to take shape. And this is clearly what's going to, to really um, make people tick, isn't it? Yeah, I, I very much hope so. And the Scepter sessions, and it's it's actually plural now, they've, it, they've captured the imagination so much that we've we've got a, a Scepter session on the Monday evening on 28th of November and the and the sort of arguably, uh, the, the well, not arguably, the slightly larger Scepter session on Tuesday, the 29th of November. And between them, they will showcase some of the best fillies and mares to be sold anywhere in the world this year. And uh, with, with the obvious highlights being the being the four group one winners, the five group one winners, actually alcohol free, saffron beach, la petite cocoa, pearls galore and winter power, as well as the dam of desert crown, desert berry. So uh, there's some, there's some genuinely outstanding fillies and mares uh, that are appearing in the December sales this year. And as you say, they'll be, they'll be the highlights of the scepter sessions. It's the rarity value, isn't it? I mean, I know you've just listed a whole load of horses that are going to be in them, but it is pretty difficult to get your hands on a on any kind of black type winner at public auction to breed from, let alone a Group One winner. Yeah, it is, and uh, I mean, it, it's rare enough for for Group One winners to to appear on the market, as you say, in the in in the December sale. But to have five in one year really is a massive opportunity for buyers from throughout the world, and they're not five sort of relatively anonymous, if that's if that's at all possible. I mean, we all know how hard it is to win Group One races, but these are five very very high class Group One winners. I mean, alcohol free. A group one winner at two, three, and four. She's won four in her life. She's beaten the boys in the Sussex and the July State July Cup. I mean, she is truly an outstanding race filly. Saffron Beach again, multiple group one winner. We, you know, she she again is is up there with the very best of her generation. La Petite Coco and Pearls Galore up there with the very very best race fillies in Ireland at the moment and Winter Power, the winner of the Nunthorpe last year. You know, these aren't these aren't ordinary group one winners. These are names that resonate all around the world and uh, and they've got an amazing supporting cast of group two and group three winners coming through as well and other outstanding broodmares. So it's not just about all, you know, it's not just about this sort of super select um, sex test as it may be. All right. Thanks to Jimmy. Thanks to all my guests today. Lydia, how much would you pay for alcohol free at public auction? <laughs> um, yeah, more than I can afford, Nick. More so I'm thinking Marsha made, what did Marsha make? Six? Was it six? I think she did. Perhaps ringing a bell. Yes. Yeah. I mean, give it, I know, I know the rest of the country's gone to pot, but I mean, bloodstock sales, you know, whatever. It's a different. It, it operates in a rarefied environment. They, they breathe different air, don't they? So yeah, it's, uh, that, that kind of consideration is irrelevant. Exactly. Uh, the, I mean, that, that, I mean, that you find that quote on most stallion adverts now, they breathe different air. But anyway, alcohol free. Um, I'm, I'm, I, she's got to make seven or eight, hasn't she? 
you would you would think so. I mean, uh, a Group One winner at two, three, and four, versatile in terms of ground, pretty versatile in terms of of distance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, she she's there's a lot to like about her. It's just a shame we won't be seeing her racing anymore. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what she what she, what she gets. But yes, yeah, I mean, you, cer- you that, certainly couldn't you certainly couldn't quibble with the enterprise that her own no, no. owner has shown, could you? Absolutely not. I mean, she was she was campaigning gloriously. I mean, you know, all power to Jeff Smith with how how um, he and, uh, and and Andrew Boarding campaigned. Although Andrew uh, and Annalise Boarding would consistently say that it was you know much of the enterprise was down to to Jeff's ambition. So that 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 has been great to see. She's been something to celebrate. I mean, in in the parallel universe where I could make you know I could actually follow through glib statements like this. Would I pay more for her or Marsha? I'd pay more for her. Yeah, I think I think me too. Um... Lydia, do you have some advice for either today or tomorrow? Uh, today, the 4.38 at Doncaster, which is a 10 furlong three-year-old handicap. I'm interested in Knight of Honour with first-time cheek pieces. Um, he's up against a couple of horses who could be very well handicapped in, in Lizzie Jean and First Officer. But I think that conditions are going to, and are going to suit him ideally, that the trip is ideal for him as well. It's a, a slightly easier race than most of the races he's been campaigned in this season. I, I appreciate he, he it was Eastern Grade at Windsor last time, but he sh- still shaped quite promising there he's been dropped by the handicapper since with the addition of the cheek pieces i think he can win the 438 at doncaster that's knight of honor lydia thank you very much thank you to all my guests on a busy show today uh, thank you for listening if you do enjoy this podcast do tell your friends and if you've got time to leave us a rating and review on where uh, wherever you get your podcast i'd be really grateful we all be very grateful right that's it for today that was friday october the 21st we'll see you again next time bye-bye <music>